I think a guy that lays tile will tighten that thing up. <laughs> Sean, it's good to be with you this morning. You know, when they asked if there was somebody had a word, I, of course, I got a word before the word. But uh, uh, my thinking was, we sang that song, He's Never Gonna Let You Down. Uh, I disagree with that. I just want you to know, I don't mind singing it. Don't give me, I'm not here, I'm not to be a song critic, but he does let you down. Okay? Think about it. He let Moses down. He let Jacob down. He let Joseph down. He let David down. He let a lot of people down. But he only lets you down so that he might raise you up. Do you understand that? That's a principle with God. Nobody just becomes, a, you know, nobody has a straight line of success. And I think the purpose for that is that God wants us to identify ourselves with broken people. People who have been let down. Maybe through a fault, of, you know, we're not here to judge through a, their own fault, through the fault of another. But, you know, the concept of never being let down, I don't agree with that because this is a relationship with Almighty God. And I got some news for you. You're not always right about life. You know, we're not always on top of everything. And sometimes the only way you can really see life is looking up through the bottom of it. You know what I mean? Sometimes looking up through the bottom, you get a revelation of, of what life is really all about. And yes, he will lift you up, you know. He humbles us and he allows us, to, he, we humble ourselves and God lifts us up. That's a principle in the word. I believe that's a very important principle. Yeah, Moses was let down. You know, most of the time my sermons about guys have been let down. And it's to help us to understand God's principles in dealing with us and working with us and helping us. And uh, helping us to see life from his perspective as our brother prayed here this morning. Well, that's all I got to say on that. Let's go to the Word. Today we're looking at John 4, the last eight, nine verses there of John 46 through 54. And uh, I have some thoughts on this. I feel like the Lord has given me some understanding of this. I've never really studied this section in depth. You know, I've studied the book of John many times, and I've taught out of the book of John numerous times. Taught the entire book years ago in the prison or in the jail here in Washington. And uh, I've taught it at, uh, I believe, at our church when I was pastoring. And uh, there's so much, there's such a, it's such a beautiful book. It was a thought-out book. It wasn't somebody just sat down and wrote a bunch of stuff. And put it all together and said, this makes a nice story. I think it was, it was thought out. It had, a, it had a plan. It had a purpose. It was so that people might believe in Jesus. You know, these men that wrote these, these gospels, they gave their life for Christ. <clears throat> they gave their life for Christ. And so they wanted to write something down that would describe him in such a way that other people might might experience him and other people might know him so that they too would want to be martyrs. They would want to be people who would live and die for the Lord. So they're going to write something. They're going to try to write something that's powerful. They're going to write something that was true and accurate and uh, follow the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
This book is a powerful book. It's a, it's a uh, book that men laid down their lives for down through the centuries. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure some of the Mennonite brethren in here know that, you know, that are background Mennonite people. You know, they, they suffered and died for what the faith uh, and the right. Did you know that, the, that it was against the law to translate the Bible into English and that if you did, you would be burned at the stake? Hello? You got an English Bible because someone was willing to be burnt to the stake, burnt to the stake for translating it into English. You know, we don't have a lot of that history taught to us. And uh, it's, it's important to know the, 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 uh, the value that men of old placed on this word so that they could get it to you and I. And I think that's a very important thing to think about. <clears throat> okay. Going back a little into John, actually all the way back into John 3, uh, we have three interviews, starting with Nicodemus, and then it went to the woman at the well. These are interviews. This is like, you know, an interview is where somebody's talking to somebody else. An interview with Nicodemus, an interview with the woman at the well. And today, in our story today, it's an interview more or less with a man who's called a royal official. It's an interview with him. It's just him and Jesus talking things over. And in these three interviews, there is a theme throughout these whole interviews, and it's the theme of faith. It's the theme of belief, believing in him. With Nicodemus, he who believes in me, you know, shall have life. You know, you, you know the, you, for God so loved the world, he just tell you, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. The woman at the well, he was bringing her to a place of belief. And so the same thing is happening today in the interview with the royal official. It's interesting to know that the woman at the well believed Jesus and shared Jesus with her city. She went back to her city and started, you know, there was, a inter, there was a transaction there. There was a experience there, an encounter there that this woman went back to her city, a woman that was shunned and, and you know, she was considered, you know, White trash, whatever you want to call it. She, was, she went back and started sharing with her whole city what, what she had experienced with Jesus. She, do you realize that the first evangelist in the Bible was a woman? I'm sure you'll talk that over at Mia Pueblo today. The first evangelist in the scriptures that we see is a woman. Going back and telling her whole city about this man. Is this the man? Is he the Messiah? Is he the, is he the Christ? This is what he did. She started sharing with them. And her city believed in him. Uh, I'm just recapping a little bit of this because it kind of follows into what we're going to look at today. Verse 39, it says, And from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him, because of the word of the woman who testified, who told me, he told me all things that I have done. Many just believed in who he was by just the, what the woman said. They believed on the basis of her word. They didn't see any sign. They didn't see any wonder. There wasn't a miracle taking place. They just believed. And then later... It says in verse 42 that they were saying that 
to the woman, it's no longer because of what you, because Jesus stayed there a couple days. He said, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. That's a powerful statement. Didn't see any signs, didn't see any wonders. Just believed because they heard his words and they believed. It's a powerful thought. How many of you know that's how you came into the faith a lot of times? Just heard the word and the presence of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit of God being there and convicting you and you, you believe the word. You believe the word. That's what happened to these Samaritans. I, I'm not sure. You know, I'm thinking of the apostle writing this. I'm not sure, but I think John is trying to show how the Samaritans believed in Jesus on the basis of his word, not on the basis of signs and wonders. And the reason for that is because of what we're going to read here a little later, something that Jesus says, and he put that in there. Okay, in today's interview with the royal official, John says a few things. So we're going to read that right now. Uh, verse 46, that's where we're starting today. It says, and he came therefore again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was requesting him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Jesus therefore said to him, note what Jesus says here. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. And as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour in which he began to get better, and they said therefore to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at, the, at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. See, in today's interview with this royal official, Jesus says to this Jewish official, unless you people... See, I, I emphasize that because I want to say, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The you people there is Jews. He was a Jew. Where had Jesus just come from? Samaria. He was, in, he was with the Samaritans. They aren't, they aren't Jews. They were Samaritans. There was a distinction between what had happened in Samaria and what is happening here in this story. I think John wanted to show the difference because you see this whole book is written about belief and unbelief. This whole gospel was written regarding belief and unbelief. And he's trying to dissect it for us. Now, I think that makes a, a point there that these Samaritans just believed because they heard the word that Jesus spoke. It's interesting, note here, they called Jesus the Savior of the world. There was a Greek, and I don't remember the whole history on this, but there was a Greek person 
who was in that area. He was in charge of that whole area uh, where they lived formerly before, before they were there. There was a Greek person there, and he had set up like things that, and he called himself the savior of the world, some Greek guy. I thought that was kind of interesting. So when they gave Jesus that title, the savior of the world, they're basically saying, this is the true savior of the world. Not that guy that goes around saying he's the savior of the world. Anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting, historical note. Okay, verse 49, the royal official, well, he'd already said it once. He said, come down and heal my son, for he is at the point of death. He's, it's a request. It's a request. And then Jesus kind of puts him off with that. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply won't believe. Well, then the man in verse 49, he changes it to almost an imperative or a command. Sir, come down before my child dies. It's an imperative. It's like, you need to do this right now. And I think this is interesting. The royal official is commanding Jesus to come down to his house and perform healing on his son before he dies, before it's too late. This command sort of expresses the official's understanding of Jesus. He had a plan. He had this plan even before he got there that he was going to tell Jesus to come down to his house and heal his son. And I know there's places in the Bible where people have requested Jesus to come and lay hands on his son or lay hands on their daughter. And, they, you know, Jesus did that. But in this particular instance, it's interesting, Jesus wouldn't, wasn't willing to do that. Or he didn't want to, not because it was too far to go or anything like that. But the official had a plan, a plan of how Jesus would heal his son, how it would happen. He was commanding Jesus to carry out his preconceived plan of how Jesus was to obediently give, go to his house, or go to his house and lay his hands on his son and he'd be healed. He had it all mapped out. He had it all planned out. This is why I say he's going to let you down sometimes. You see, a lot of times we got everything all planned, don't we? God gave us a good brain. Some of us actually use it. Not me sometimes. I mean, there's a lot of times I haven't used my brain very well. But you know, our brain can be used for good, for evil. It can be used for all sorts of things. And this man wasn't being evil by asking Jesus to come to his house. He was just being a normal person. Many times Jesus will go as requested to him. But in this case, Jesus gave a command back to the official. The man gave him a command and Jesus gave him a command. Go your way. Your son lives. He told him something to do. Now the official has a choice, doesn't he? He put he, Jesus kind of put the ball back in his court. Go your way, your son lives. So now the, the man has a choice. He can, he can continue to insist that Jesus do what he's asked him to do 
Or he can obey Jesus' word by going and believing. Well, the Bible says he believed the word Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. I like that. I like that in verse 50. He started off. He took off. We're going to make a point on this in just a little bit. The Bible says he believed the word and he started off. His actions, his actions showed his faith. Don't you see what I'm saying? As soon as he heard that word, his actions showed his faith. He took and started off. He was acting on what Jesus had spoken to him. Somehow or another, now you got to think about this. That is a humbling of yourself. Do you understand that? He's not doing things my way, but I'm doing things his way. Do you guys see that? And it's almost like Jesus had to do this to this gentleman. He doesn't do it to everybody. This gentleman wasn't saved. You know, he wasn't going to the Jerusalem church or anything like that. He wasn't a Christian, okay, if you want to use. He was just a man. He was just a normal man who grew up probably in a Jewish household, and he, he aspired to a high position in a, amongst a royal person. You know, James says faith without works is what? Dead. And the Bible also says that faith comes by the word of Christ, the word of Christ, the faith comes. So this is something kind of normal in the Bible. Let me give you a few instances of this. Remember when Peter, you know, the boat full of fish, everybody saw the chosen. You probably already know that, right? The boat full of fish. If you didn't read it in the Bible, you probably saw it on the chosen. But there's a boat full of fish at the end of Peter's story. And he had to believe what Jesus told him to do. Jesus said, you know, go out a little ways and throw down your net for a catch. And he believed him and went out and did it and he got a catch. You remember that? Faith, acting on Jesus' word. How about the blind man? Jesus put mud on his eyes. Covered his eyes with mud, right? And Jesus told him to do what? Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now here's a guy that's blind. In a pretty good-sized city with a lot of little streets. Has anybody here been to Jerusalem? Old Jerusalem? There's a lot of little streets, little crooks and crannies and stuff. You know, and this guy's blind. He's got to go find this pool of Siloam. He's probably heard of it, but I doubt if a blind man walked down there every day of the week. So he's feeling his way along, asking for directions. He's obeying the word that Jesus said to him. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, he could have just took some water and washed them off right there, but Jesus gave him, he was acting on, the, on faith of what Jesus had spoken to him. How about the lame man? They let down through the ceiling. Y'all saw that in the chosen too, didn't you? Rise up and walk. He said that to a number of men. One guy laying at the pool of Bethesda. At the pool of Bethesda, he told him to get up, get up and walk. He gives them a simple command and rise up and walk. And they, they you know, they could say, I can't walk. You're asking me to do something that's impossible. But they rose up and they walked because they obeyed the word of Christ. 
And that's when the thing happened. The one I like is the ten lepers that took off running for the priest. You remember them? They were standing far off. Jesus, have mercy on us. Go show yourself to the priest. So they took off. They all took off running. And as they took off running to go to the priest, what happened? They were healed. They didn't get healed and run off to the priest. They got they took off running, and as they went, they were healed. There's a lot of instances of Christ's word being spoken and people acting on that word. And that's what faith, it seems like that activates faith. Because faith without works is some type of work is dead. All of these encounters with Jesus required action on the part of the hearers. Man, that's a mouthful. We come to church, hear the Bible stories, hear the stories, hear the stories. Come back to church, hear the stories, hear the stories. Do you think it's a possibility, or even right now, God is speaking to some of us about some action? You think he might be, I mean, a lot of times we're looking for the big thing. You know, go to Africa, go to, maybe go, go somewhere. But, you know, maybe it's just a simple thing. None of these things were big. Let down your net, rise up, go show yourself to a priest, go home, go your way, your son lives. Just simple stuff, stuff that we can do, stuff that we can. I just want us to think about that today because I think that's a very important thought, that God sometimes just asking us to do the simple thing. You know, we can all have different encounters with, with the Lord, like all these people, all different, fishing, you know, lame, leopard, you know, all these different things that's going on around you. There can all be different encounters, but it's always the same thing when it comes to the faith. Faith is the same. In every, it's the common denominator in every one of these stories. Well, the story ends with the, the official finding out that his son was alive and doing well. And the official said, when did it happen? When did, he, when did things change? And they told him what, what hour, the seventh hour, this took place. <laughs> what happened? And, 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 when, and Jesus, they told him when it, when it happened, and, and he said it was the very moment Jesus said, your son lives. It was at that very moment. And then it says something kind of unusual. It says, and he believed. I thought he already believed. He believed the word that Jesus spoke. Well, what's he believing now? What's he believing all over again? He's believing something else now, isn't he? He's believing that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is not just a, a mere man. Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father. He's believing Jesus for salvation. You know, we have a lot of people that believe in Jesus. But what do you believe about him? You can believe different things. But this believing 
first believing here was for the sign, the sign that Jesus gave him. You know what a sign is, right? It points to something else. When you drive into Washington and see the sign that says Washington, Indiana, you don't stop and say, hey, look, this is Washington, Indiana, this sign. No, Washington, Indiana, that's, that's just telling you that you've come into the city. You're telling you where you are, where, where, where you're with. Signs just point to something else. And that's what the sign was all about. The sign was to point to something else of who Jesus was. And when this man realized who Jesus was, he believed in him. Just like the Samaritans believed in him without a sign. They didn't have to believe Jesus for a sign. They were just believing Jesus for who he said he was, the Savior of the world, this man. The sign points, always points to something greater. And Jesus was that something greater that the man and his whole household believed in. Well, I can carry on. Was it a pretty quick sermon? Was it quick? I don't know how quick it was. That's it, though. Hey, I got some news for you. I'm going to be traveling to Romania here in a few weeks. I've got a wedding there. A uh, young girl that was uh, in my youth camps and became a Christian there. And uh, I eventually, down through the years, I, I went through that city a number of times to go to another area, and I got invited to her home, met her family. She comes from a family of 16 kids. Anybody top that? Uh, 16 kids. My greatest assignment was to learn all the names of the 16 kids. So every time I go back, I always practice the names, Jonathan. But anyway, uh, I've been invited to her wedding, and I feel kind of a, a desire, obligation or desire to go because of uh, just the involvement I've had in her life and the life of her family over these many years. So um, I'll be leaving the 7th of, uh, 7th of August. I won't be gone very long. Um, right now in my family, my uncle, my uncle's 91 years old. He's homebound and we got 24 hour care going and it's, uh, I just don't want to be away too long with that going on, trying to get help there and watch over him. But, uh, you pray for us and, uh, but I want to just go back to this believing again, you know? I think Jesus speaks to us so that we might encounter him. It's not just to do a sign or a wonder in your life, but it's to get to know who he is, to know his person, to know that he is Lord of all, to know that, that he has power to, to do things and to change things in our lives, just like he changed the lives of the people in our stories here that I spoke about. Just like this official, he would never be the same again as a result of this. And that's the power of Christ to do things in us and we'll never be the same again. And I just want to offer that to you today. I think Jesus is offering that to people who are hearing this today. And I want to pray with you and then we want to invite you. Are we having communion today? Okay.
there'll be communion set up in different corners of the church and uh, building. And uh, we just invite you to come and partake of that. So let's bow our heads and have prayer now. Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, your word demands action. But Lord, it's not a, an action, Lord, that you want to command us so much, but you want us to experience your involvement. You want us to experience your involvement in our lives. You want to be involved in our lives, and you want us to step out and trust you. Help us to hear the still, small voice. Help us to hear your word as we read it, as we interact with others, Lord God. Help us to know what it is you're saying to us that we could experience your presence in our life and see your working in our lives and in the lives of others around us. Bless your word today, Lord, as it goes out. And bless us as we partake in this uh, communion. May the Holy Spirit uh, just increase our desire like we prayed today in our worship. Lord, we want more of you, more to know you, more to walk with you, more of you, Lord, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.